This is The Immigrant View, a podcast for immigrants by immigrants. Welcome to the show. The Immigrant View is brought to you by ImmigrantNetworks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Immigrant View. Once again, my name is Aya Owadoni. It's a great pleasure being here with you. How has your day been? Uh, really glad that you are listening, uh, that you've downloaded this episode. I've got a fantastic show for you today. This is going to be slamming. Wonderful. Uh, by the way, before we get started, I think it's important to let you know that I'm hiding from the children while I do this podcast. If by any chance they sneak in, they own the house. I am just the one that pays the mortgage here. Um, so if by any chance they come in and they want something or need something, uh, we'll pull them in so you all get a chance to, to get to know them and meet them. I have the CEO of Digital Research Alliance of Canada here with us. Uh, he's a seasoned executive with more than 30 years experience uh, in his field and industry. His passion is finding innovative solutions to operational problems and also mentoring young professionals. And this is an opportunity for us to be able to get to learn from him, to be able to be exposed to his life story and some tips and, uh, on things that new immigrants, uh, I don't know if seasoned immigrant is even the right word, but new immigrants, immigrants that have been immigrants for quite some time. <laughs> That's a terrible way to say it. But uh, it's a really great opportunity for you to get to know him, meet him, uh, and learn from him. I've had more than one conversation. I'm truly inspired. We've also had his daughter on the podcast and just amazing the work that she's also doing. Uh, so this is an opportunity for us to tap, grab your pen and paper or your remarkable tab. By the way, I just bought a new one and I'm so excited about it. Um, and I use it all the time, but grab your tab or whatever it is that you use and join us on this podcast. I have Nizar Ladakh. Nizar, it's a great pleasure having you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's such a sincere pleasure to be here. And, and sorry for my two minutes of rambling in the midst of me trying to introduce you to the <laughs> You are like the person they want to listen to, and I'm just taking over the speaking uh, bandwidth. But the first time we had a chance to chat, you, you shared your story, very powerful, amazing story. Uh, Dean Amin was part of that story as well. Uh, and by the way, if you don't know who Dean Amin is, please go do some research. Uh, man, I, I, I had a chance to watch two different uh, movies uh, about his life and the things that he did in Uganda. And um, it's important that we learn about history so it doesn't repeat itself. Uh, Indeed. So I, I think it's great that if, if people can go and just try to learn more about that would be awesome. But Nisar, please tell us your story from Uganda to Canada. Sure, thank you. Um, I'm probably one of the proudest Canadians you're ever going to meet, Ayo. And, mm. and that's because uh, I firmly believe this country has given me uh, opportunities that, that you know, are unsurpassed. Mm. Um, so so in, almost 50 years ago, my family was forced to leave my birthplace, uh, Kampala, Uganda, which is a small country in East Africa. Um, and we were forced to leave because the uh, dictator who had overthrown the government and taken over uh, Idi Amin uh, had indicated that uh, he only wanted uh, non, uh, or what he called um, uh, Asian non-Africans to leave. Uh, and, and so his belief, uh, misinformed belief, was that we were taking over the economy and that, uh, and that uh, you know, we needed to go. 
Um, so my father, a uh, self-made entrepreneur, uh, you know, gathered his family, uh, wife, uh, three children, my two older sisters and I, and we left under the protection of the Canadian Red Cross uh, in the middle of the night. Um, we spent six months in a refugee camp in a small Mediterranean island called Malta before Canada opened its doors to us. And, and when we arrived, you know, he was forced to go door to door, literally um, asking for work. And, and even then I was humbled by the experience. I was just a toddler. And I remember this, you know, milestone conversation in my life where I, I asked my father, he came home, he was exhausted, his, his feet hurt, his arms were sore. I said, dad, why are you doing this? And, and to this day, I still remember his response. You know, he said to me, uh, looking at me with his kind eyes, and he says, I'm doing this for two reasons. I'm doing this because I want to provide you and your sisters with two things, choice and opportunity. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I went through, I'm a product of Canada's social net. I'm evidence that the social net can work as it was designed to. Um, so aided by government grants and um, educational loans and, and, and bursaries, uh, I was able to pursue my education to the highest level, um, uh, to, to you know, doing all of my coursework and my, and my comprehensives for my PhD, um, all at the University of Toronto. Oh, wow. And so when I finally graduated, um, I knew I wanted to give back to the country who gave me so much. And, and the way I chose to do that was to dedicate my career to public service. Uh, and so I've worked uh, in a variety of organizations throughout my career. Uh, and, you know, fundamentally, it's going to sound a little hokey, Ayo, but really, I just want to leave this country better than I found it. Uh, mm. And I believe that's the immigrant story. The story I just told you could have been repeated by uh, any one of your listeners. We come to the country uh, in search of a better life, and we commit to giving the country um, uh, everything we have, both morally and professionally. And so to your listeners, I would say continue on that journey, because it is the immigrants that uh, enrich the very country we love and call home. So, so that's, my, that's my story. Wow, that is so powerful. Uh, just when, it, when the announcement was made in Uganda for people to leave, what was the timeline given? I think it's important that you share that with people. Yeah, thank you. We, we were given 90 days. Um, so imagine that in, in today's times, you're given 90 days uh, to literally pack up whatever you can carry on your backs uh, and leave the country you called home. Uh, we owned a, a townhouse. We were middle class by or working class by, by every definition. Uh, but my family owned a, a townhouse in Uganda. Um, my grandfather had a business that many of the siblings um, were, were, um, were part of. But we were asked literally to hand over the keys to the army uh, and get out within 90 days. And as you approached the, um, uh, the final days, uh, there were atrocities, as you can imagine, con conducted by the army. Uh, women were raped. Uh, villages were pil uh, pillaged. Um, uh, the army uh, hadn't been paid, so they took whatever property, valuables, jewelry. Uh, they would shoot you dead in the streets if you didn't turn it over. And so this was the fear um, uh, that sort of umbrellaed our, our, our departure is uh, on the on the one hand, we wanted to leave. On the other hand, uh, you know, we were in many ways being obs um, having obstacles from the army to say, why are you leaving that, you know, uh, give us your things before you go. And, uh, and so that's why we had to literally around two or three in the morning run to the Red Cross protection shelters under the, the, uh, under the 
United Nations and, mm-hmm. and just get on an Air Canada flight that we could get anywhere. So, Wow. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to point that out because I heard a quote from someone, no one chooses to be a refugee. You know, um, I think people were people were shocked, uh, you know, with things and I'm time stamping or date stamping this podcast. Now, but people were shocked at what was happening in Ukraine, you know, like, whoa, nobody chooses to. It is not just an African thing. It could happen sometimes because of circumstances uh, and people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And nobody chooses to be. But it doesn't mean we're not smart enough. It doesn't mean you're not exposed enough. Uh, I met someone on my, there was a flight I was bringing up when I was first time coming to Canada, the guy that sat next to me was from Syria. He was studying to be a doctor. And of course, the war started. He showed me a video of himself uh, when a bomb hit, you know, the building that he was in, and they had like a camera in the room, and he showed me a video on the plane. And I was blown away. Imagine people that are just going by their day to day. And the bomb hits, and of course, the chaos, because you didn't know where to, do I run outside to where the bomb came from, or do I stay inside, and then the building will collapse on me. Uh, so it was just a very humbling story. But then he came to Canada, he wasn't speaking any English, was just learning English, but the joy and the excitement to leave all of that and start afresh uh, was there. Can, can you talk about, and I think you've mentioned briefly on it, the gratitude, uh, you, you talked about the joy of being a Canadian, the yeah. gratitude that comes and then the ambition that comes with that gratitude as well. Would yeah. love your thoughts on that. For sure. I mean, um, you know, what's sad, I'm glad you raised the Ukraine. What's sad is, um, I, I like, like you, I've heard a quote is, um, the thing about studying history is people don't seem to learn uh, mm. from our past mistakes. And so... Uh, your listeners and I and, and yourself can, you know, quote um, uh, atrocities that have happened throughout the world repeatedly from, from my time in Uganda to Rwanda to Somalia, Syria, Afghanistan, and now the Ukraine. And it's 2022. And, and uh, I know your listeners and others would say, like, when is humanity going to learn? Every year we commemorate the sacrifices of first responders and uh, and the military, and, and we say, lest we forget. And yet we don't seem to learn from our past mistakes. And so, um, you know, answering your question just directly, uh, the gratitude that's felt by those who are welcome to a new country, um, we, as you said, we don't choose to leave our birthplace. We don't choose to leave the countries where we had settled, um, but circumstances and situations uh, arise where uh, it, it doesn't even feel like a choice, you know, it's, it's um, stay here and die or leave uh, mm. is many, many times what, you know, many of, uh, many of us have faced as immigrants. And so when we're welcomed into the country, um, uh, you know, there's this sense of, uh, I have safety, I have uh, opportunity to contribute, and, uh, and many of us want to contribute in, in powerful ways, whether it's through uh, our professional roles, our philanthropic efforts, um, the things that bind humanity is the willingness and the desire to improve um, the, the world as we know it. And immigrants are no different by virtue of the labels we wear. Whatever country we settle in, it becomes the home in which we want our children and our grandchildren and our legacy to be left. Um, uh, and, and that's no different whether you were born here or whether you were given the opportunity to arrive. And so 
Um, I, I think in many ways, um, uh, in some ways, immigrants almost believe that they have a, a, a greater duty uh, by virtue of uh, being granted admission into the country to give back and to reinforce that the choice to, uh, to grant them entry was a good one. And so they, they um, morally uh, wish to almost prove that allowing me into your country was, um, was the right decision. Now, I'm going on 50 years as a proud Canadian. Um, and so, uh, and yet the sort of immigrant nature doesn't really change. Uh, you, you believe that this is the, the place you wish to call home and you wanna make it better for my firstborn generation Canadians and, and hopefully my grandchildren and their children, so. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, thanks for sharing that. So uh, we've heard the story up to, you know, your father seeking for job opportunities. I uh, would love to hear your growing up in Canada. What was that like for you? What were challenges? What were triumphs as you pushed through um, integrating, pushing through your education and all of that? Yeah, so I, I grew up in the 70s um, and uh, racism was abound. Not to suggest it's not abound today, but it was probably much more overt uh, than, than uh, thankfully my children experience today. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, we grew up with the racial slurs, um, with bullying, uh, with the belief that somehow we were different as human beings by virtue of the color of our skin. Um, and, and, and you try to overcome that, you try to acclimatize and conform. Um, uh, and yet, you know, those who have a particular accent based on their, their country of origin, uh, it stands out in ways that can't necessarily uh, hide. And so that difference is always quite prevalent. And so um, for me, I, I, I accredit everything I have uh, and the person I am today to a remarkable support network. Um, uh, as much as my father was a dramatic influence on me, he passed away uh, when I was 11 years old. Uh, and I was raised by my mother and my two older sisters who provided me with the moral and uh, moral grounding to sort of uh, understand between right and wrong. Uh, I was blessed with uh, childhood friends who were remarkable influences. To this day, Ayo, I have uh, four best friends who I've known since I was eight years old. Wow. Uh, we've, we've gone to each other's weddings. We've you know, welcomed our children. Um, they are the dearest and most important people in my life. Um, and so a shout out to them. They know who they are. Uh, but, uh, you know, all of us, you know, actually just a quick pause on that one. I mean, uh, you talk about the immigrant story of my four best friends. One is a principal at the Toronto District Board of Education. The other one is a physician. Uh, the third is a, um, a manager of IT services with the government of Ontario. And then there's myself. Uh, and so I think what binds many immigrants is the perception and understanding that there, there's value through education. Mm -hmm. And in growing up, you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't a choice. It, my mother was was instilled in me. Um, so you know, it wasn't whether you're going to university. It's which university are you going to, and how <laughs> high are you going to go in your degrees? And, yes. Uh, <laughs> and you know that as well. It's not a choice of, uh, you know, and it didn't matter. Now, you know, having said that, it didn't matter if I wanted to pursue music or I wanted to pursue uh, the, the medical medical arts or engineering. It was you were going to get an educational grounding that will serve mm -hmm. you well. Mm -hmm. And so if I wanted to be a, a musician, you will go to Juilliard. If you wanted to be a physician, you'll go to the best medical schools, but you will ground yourself in education. And so... Um, 
it was a challenge for mom because I, I was by no stretch uh, a studious uh, young boy. Uh, and yet I saw the value, uh, I think, later in my high school years and applied myself. Um, and, and then when it came time to, to getting admission, you know, I was I was welcomed by the premier university. Obviously, I'm a proud alumnus, but, you know, premier university in the country and, and got to pursue my education. And so um, so so the, the, the journey was very much one informed by the. the the network, the supportive network that I had around me who just wouldn't give up on me and mm. kept encouraging me and kept supporting me. Uh, and so I, I, I wish for all of your listeners that, uh, that they surround themselves with the people who can, who can um, uh, you know, support them, but more importantly, believe in their accomplishments. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, one thing I heard from you is uh, not necessarily these words, despite the racism or despite the wordings you shared your story and for your friends who have reached uh, reached possibly um really high levels um in their industries um at, at this point would love your thoughts around and i have seen and heard you know i'm in meetings or at different places where there seems to be this big focus on the racism or what is going on. And, and like you said, yes, it's there. Um, but how are you able to overcome all that and still reach that level? Not just you, your friends as well. Like, what is that secret sauce that we all need to go get and sip on? <laughs> get to that high level, despite uh, what could be around people. Yeah, it's... Um... I don't know if there's a secret sauce. I, I would be, you know, somewhat disingenuous if I said there was a secret sauce. As much as um, the trials and tribulations in life will bring you down, and your network will will prop you up. And so, one of the quotes that I've always lived by is, "A rising tide lifts all boats." Mm. Uh, and and the reason that particular quote resonates for me is it visually. I'm a visual learner. It it's um it, it's about all people coming together to elevate one another. And so as much as you will often encounter individuals, whether motivated by racism or jealousy or envy or uh, you know, their own self-desire to propel ahead of you, um, you have to have the, the appropriate support mechanisms professionally and personally to say, when you fall down, I will pick you up, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you think about all of the different quotes in, in, uh, in society that sort of speak to, to that value, it you know, it takes a village to raise a child. A rising tide lifts all boats. Um, uh, all things good are possible. I mean, these are the kinds of quotes that I think you need to uh, internalize and and find the resilience. Um, uh, humanity will continue to throw uh, curves and obstacles in your path, um, but by virtue of our upbringing as immigrants, we we've almost internalized the belief that we will overcome, um, mm -hmm. that our day will come. And I think that that motivation uh, needs to sort of move you through. But um, ultimately, it's dedicating your life to something. So uh, I mentioned my father's passing as a milestone moment in my life. It, it, at the age of 11, I realized a few things. When, when he passed, um, I can't profess to have known him as an adult would know uh, their parent. 
And yet so many of his friends and colleagues took the time to share stories about how he made a difference in their life, how he helped them when they were down. Uh, and, and so that was the legacy I wanted to leave for my children, um, wow. is that when when I pass, that my friends, my colleagues, my my IOs and, and others will say, you know, I knew your father and he, he took an interest in me. He took a, he wanted to contribute to me. Um, uh, he made a difference in my life. If if that's the quote on my tombstone, then I think I'll have loved, uh, lived a life uh, that was meaningful, that, that I made a difference in some some small way. So. That is so beautiful. That That is... Um... That is so fantastic. You know, Stephen Covey, one of his trainings talks about, there's one exercise uh, we did where he, he writes about your 80 year old self. Mm. And you're at your 80th birthday. And then we were all supposed to write down what you want your children to say about you, you know? And that was a very interesting, humbling, uh, and eye-opening experience. And I, I, I wrote it down, I had to print it and put it on my wall. Uh, just so it can be a reminder for myself for when um, when I start to behave the way I behave. Sometimes <laughs> the kids ask that same thing for the 50,000th time. Uh, but being able to remember when you're 80, you want them to curse you out? Or do you want them to say, you know, he was a great father? But thank you so much for for, for that reminder. So what, what are some tips, uh, in addition to many that you've shared so far, I'm a new immigrant. I'm arriving in Canada. I've just recently landed, or I'm listening in. Uh, we're discovering from our data there are people that are listening from the outside. Mm. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. So shout out to those listening from Jamaica, from Oman, from the countries I didn't know existed. I had to Google to figure out where you were. Um, I don't know how you found it, but thank you for listening and downloading. But what is your advice to them? Um, as they start and chart their new path in Canada and start their new life? Yeah. Um, I, I would say as much as you hear podcasts or interviews uh, like this, um, have a realistic lens uh, around your journey. Um, th th there is no free ride. Uh, it's going to be tough. Um, it, it, it's going to uh, be challenging. Um, while you see rhetorically, you know, you'll be welcomed with open arms. Um, it, it isn't like that. Like, let's be realistic. It, it's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. You're going to have to avail yourself of the services and the opportunities that are going to be made available to you and turn to your communities. One of the reasons I believe Canada is the most uh, remarkable country on the planet is we have pieces of legislation that enshrine how we wish to be as Canadians, from our Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms to our policies on multiculturalism. These are the, um, the prerequisites for what literature describes today as the intersectional identity, the intersectional lens that we take, which is a respect for people's practices, cultural behaviors, and others. And uh, I'm a Toronto boy for your listeners. Um, I will always be a Toronto boy. Uh, and that's because uh, I'm surrounded by, um, uh, you know, uh, people of, uh, of a variety of different cultures. If I want Cuban food, I can go get it. If I want Korean food, I can go get it. If I want to experience, um, you know, any form of culture, Asian culture, African culture, it's available to me in this beautiful city. And so when you arrive, uh, turn to uh, 
uh, the very many philanthropic organizations that dedicate themselves to uplifting uh, immigrants, new immigrants, new arrivals, um, and help them uh, get them to help you navigate your path. Um, but ultimately, never lose sight. In many ways, we're coming full circle. Never lose sight of the conversation that Io and I just had, which is find what motivates you, um, and and that will become your sort of north star to guide your journey. Uh, when I've done the exercise that Ao describes around uh, Covey's, uh, you know, do your do your uh, eulogy when you're 80, uh, and I've used it in classrooms that I've taught in. Wow. And the one thing that's uniform is no one will ever say, when I'm 80, I hope people say he had a million dollars and a really shiny car and a beautiful <laughs> house. Like no okay. one cares, right? Like uniformly, everybody will turn to things that speak to their moral compass, to their value sets. I want people to say I was a good father. Mm -hmm. I was a good leader. I was a good friend. I was trustworthy. And so um, as you embark upon your professional journey, understand that those are the things you want people to say about you 30, 40, 50 years from now, depending on your age. So begin to build the foundation and the footprints to achieve that kind of outcome. And what you will remarkably see is it's a mutually reinforcing um, scenario where good people, caring people, people who are committed to making their environments and their teams stronger will get promoted. They will be recognized. Um, they will, um, you know, reach the pinnacles uh, that that Canadian society offers us. Um, but if you're in it for um, what I would call, you know, reasons that are uh, of self-interest, um, you know, it's it's unlikely going to sort of result in the in the destination that you wish. And 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 I don't say that to be patronizing. I say that because. You yourselves, when you do the exercise of what do you want people to say when you're 80, is not about, you know, he was cutthroat in his business practices. <laughs> like they want to say more valuable things, right? So behave that way. Behave in the way you wish your 80-year-old self uh, wishes to, to see you. Hey, and and Nizar, uh, the, the Nigerian in me, you know, when the 80 year of practice started, the Nigerian wanted to come out and say, he has 20 million cars. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so my values as an individual was clashing with my culture. <laughs> Indeed. I, I'm sure all the Nigerians listening would know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's He's right. He's a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm so sorry. I, no. I wanted to uh, ask this one. This is more uh, controversial, but we'll, we'll like your thoughts on this. Um, and I think you've alluded to it a few times. How do you, I was at a training program speaking at an event once and, you know, the speaker after me was speaking to immigrants. And one of the challenges he gave is do not even allow racism or and he's like, I don't want to hear a word of it. Yes, it exists, but ignore it and do your thing. Yeah. Um, because you're here to excel, you have a family to take care of, blah, 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 blah. You don't have time to worry about those things. Mm. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. There was a part of me that was like, yes, you're right. There was another part that was like, eh, but if we ignore it and don't acknowledge it, how do we change it or how do we address it? Um, yeah. 
would like your thoughts around that in reference to the listener that is listening now that probably has not experienced it and probably will eventually experience something like that later on. How do you, do you agree with what that person said? Would like your thoughts. Sure. I, I think I share the perspective that you articulated, Io, which is um, in some ways, well, not in some ways, racism is grounded in ignorance and, mm. and you can't give light to ignorance. Um, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. That was said by Ida, Ida Wells. And, and so um, uh, in some ways, what I think is you can't let other people's ignorance pull you down. But as an immigrant, as a person of color, you do have an obligation to eradicate that ignorance wherever you have the opportunity. And so you know, I've achieved a modicum of, of success. I have the, the ultimate leadership responsibility of crafting an organization in, in a direction that I want to. And I'm not putting myself up as, in any way as sort of a, a, a role model or anything like that. But um, when I had the opportunity to design a team, I designed it in a way that was reflective of our society. And I think giving opportunities to uh, immigrants, giving opportunities to people of color, um, to people from marginalized communities, LGBTQ+, indigenous communities, these are the ways in which I believe are the appropriate ingredients for success. Because by virtue of having, and so, so in some ways it, it matched my moral orientation, but it made perfect business sense. I, I'm accountable to a board um, who, who might, whom I have to rationalize and justify my decisions to. And if they say, why is there, um, I mean, they would never say this, but if they were to hypothetically say, why is there so many people of color and, and people of, of different backgrounds in your organization? My response would be, it's the smartest business decision you can make because mm -hmm. If you have an organization that approximates the society in which you wish to serve, then they bring the identities and understandings that are going to resonate with your customer base, with the people you serve. Right. Um, whereas if you have only one orientation, then that's the orientation that results in those things. And I can actually back it up, uh, if you indulge me, with a, with a specific example. Sure. My, my organization um, uh, does... Uh, 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 supports uh, technology, uh, technology for researchers. And so I had the opportunity to go to Europe. And when I went to Europe, uh, a lot of my people, a lot of the people that I met there said, you know, we love Canadian exports in terms of software and uh, programs. And I said, oh, Canadian in particular? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, please tell me about that. And they said, here, try this experiment is, and for your listeners, try this tonight when you, after you listen to this podcast, is take your cell phone, and with your partner, your significant other, or even your friends, ask them to do something on their cell phone in the same way you would do it. And I'm willing to wager, and I'm not a wagering man, but I'm willing to wager that depending on the person you ask, whether it's a, a person who has a different gender than yourself, identifies as a, a particular ethnicity, uh, LGBTQ or others, they're gonna do it differently. Hmm. And the reason that they will do that is because there has been years and decades of psychological studies that have shown our layered experiences as individuals shape the way we interact with products. So you and I, Io, as um, men, will likely do you know cut and paste on our phone in one way. 
whereas our wives or our children, uh, depending if they're women, will do it in a different way. Both achieve the same outcome, but they're different. Mm -hmm. So that has tremendous value because the likelihood of, and here's the concluding point, the likelihood of a Canadian-based export, whether it's software or hardware, that you had a person from Colombia, a Francophone, a Spaniard, uh, an English person, an Anglo person, other, is, is very, very high. And so when they design the software, they design it in a way based on their lived experiences. The people who then interact with it are Spaniards, are Colombians, are French people, are Anglos. And so their, their ability to understand intuitively the software we put out is that much higher. And wow. even your experiences as an Indigenous or, or LGBTQ member um, is shaped by that. And so um, it, the, the success of our organization is built into who we are, into the very fabric of who we are as Canadians, because we're building things that are more likely to be taken up by European and international audiences. Mm -hmm. And so, so I would say to, to, um, uh, to any other um, you know, business leaders, your products, your outcomes will be stronger by virtue of the diversity of your uh, teams that you employ within your organization. That is powerful. Uh, that is so powerful. There is a story of a soap dispenser where a black man tried to use it, but it didn't recognize yes. um, his, his hands. And um, uh, as, as studies have gotten deeper, uh, people are identifying that, you know, the lack of diversity when some technologies are being built uh, is leading to different views and aspects and dimensions that are not even being seen. Yeah. or observed at all. So th that is such a powerful story. Nassar, you shared so much with us uh, here. Thank you so much. You talked about choice and opportunity, ambition, gratitude. There's so much that you shared with us today that for me is uh, encouraging. I feel like usually these podcasts are quote unquote for the, uh, for the listeners, but more important is for me because I get to learn so much. I leave like just just like ready to walk and soar, you know, and, and run uh, because of the amazing tips that I get and the friendships that I get to build uh, from this as well. So thank you for being a part of this and for joining us. Oh, my sincere pleasure. Thank you, Ayo. And to the listener, please share this podcast with a friend or two. There are really some amazing nuggets here that could add great value to that person um, that you share this with. So don't forget to do that. Once again, this is The Immigrant View. My name is Ayo Oweduni. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Why don't you do us a favor and share this podcast with a friend or colleague? The Immigrant View is brought to you by ImmigrantsNetworks.com. Hi, I'm Nick Narani, founder and CEO of Immigrant Networks. Listen, if you're an immigrant or an international student looking to find a job and expand your network in Canada, Immigrant Networks is for you. Immigrant Networks, we say networking to get working. It is a community built by immigrants just like you to help you overcome one of the biggest challenges that immigrants have when they come here, and that is finding and retaining a job. Visit our website today and get matched within days with someone from your profession and learn and grow. Immigrant Networks. Networking to get working. Music provided by bentsound.com.